know that going to work can be stressful enough, but add on to that the possibility you could be injured by someone in your workplace. So as many of you know, that's a reality for many nurses and midwives. Our next speaker will give us the latest findings on her study into patient-related violence. Dr. Jackie Pitch is a lecturer at UTS, and she worked on a survey of New South Wales nurses and midwives, their experiences of violence at work. And she's part of an international collaboration looking at preventing and minimising workplace aggression in healthcare. So even though you just sat down, please stand and give a big warm welcome to Dr. Jackie Pitch. Thank you, everyone, and I would like to, to extend a big thank you because it's because of you guys that we could do this survey. So it was a survey of the Nurses and Midwives Association membership, and so what I would like to do today is present the results of that um, survey. I'm just going to click to the next slide. I'm going to be running like a mini survey while we are doing this, just to kind of keep you awake, even though you've just had morning tea, but also so you can have a think about it and have an opportunity to respond if perhaps you weren't part of the survey. And obviously it's a topic that I wish that I didn't have to report on, so violence um, in nursing, and made probably more timely due to the events that have happened at Blacktown Hospital in the last week, uh, where we've had six um, assaults on nurses in, a, in one of the units there. So obviously that is something that is unfortunately always in and, uh, seems to always pop up into the media, so I'll just leave that up for a moment. So what, when I went to talk to the Nurses and Midwives Association, what we wanted to do was to kind of have a snapshot in time or a body of, of evidence that we could use, that they could use when they went into talks with New South Wales Health and with other healthcare providers. Because often we have anecdotal evidence, often it hits the media because there's a story and then we get attention from it. So what we wanted to do was to make sure we had that evidence, and it was like a starting point. It's certainly not a finishing point for us. So, oh, you're already gone to the next one. So this was like a test one. They said, do a test one. That's a bit foolish. So we can see if people, and you can see how it kind of works. So you'll be able to see in real time how people are responding. And so it's interesting to know we have, you know, a significant proportion with superpowers in our midst, which is, which is reassuring. So that's kind of how it will work. So I'm glad that you can work it and then we can play around with it. All right, looks like, yeah, teleportion is a big one. All right, so I've already said what we wanted to do. So now I would like you to answer, now it's the serious question. So I want you to think about how concerned you are, well, very concerned. So how concerned you are with violence in the workplace, because obviously it's an issue not just for New South Wales nurses and midwives, but for nurses and midwives across the world. So the, uh, the International Council of Nursing recognises it as one of the main issues in nursing. And so based on this, we did a survey, and when I show you the survey responses, you'll be able to see that um, most people also saw that as something that was significant. So most people here are saying that it's significant. And obviously, as I said, we had I talked to the midwives, um, Nurses and Midwives Association, they had an anecdotal evidence, but we know that it, it does hit the media, it gets media attention as well. So it was on this backdrop that we wanted to talk to you. And so what we did, so just briefly, sent out a survey to everyone, just an online survey that we had developed. We used expert panels because we wanted to be able to touch on people from all clinical areas. Often a lot of the research looks at ED nurses, mental health nurses. Um, and then we, I needed help with the stats, so we had some HMRI people. 
So what did we find? So this time last year, we did this survey, and the thing that I'd like to highlight here is that sample size. So we had almost 3,500 people, which told us, hey, people take this seriously, because traditionally we get low numbers of people um, completing surveys. And that made it the largest survey of its kind ever conducted in Australia on this topic, and also one of the biggest worldwide. So we knew that people were interested. I'm not going to go over this in too much detail, but when we do a survey, sometimes we're worried we're not going to get a representative sample because people will self-select because they've experienced violence. But what we found was that the numbers, when we looked at it, was representative of the nursing workforce. So you can see there we had a range of uh, metropolitan, regional and re remote nurses and midwives getting back to us. It was split across the three sectors. Traditionally, we've done this research in the public sector, uh, which is the biggest employer, but we wanted to look at everyone. And we also found, obviously, nurses, they were aged over four, but over 45. Um, most were female, and we got all types of nurses. So we were pretty happy with that sample and able to respond. And so now I'm going to ask you, have you ever, ever experienced violence at work? Yes. And when we're thinking violence, that can be physical, it can be verbal abuse and non-physical violence. So we can see there that the majority of people sitting here have experienced violence. And that's going to tally up when, when I show you the, our results. When we surveyed, we looked at the last week and the last six months, because we had to have a defined period when we were analysing that data. So we found that more, almost half had experienced violence in the previous week and 80% in the previous six months. Of this three quarters, around three quarters, it was verbal and non-physical abuse, and we'll unpack that a bit uh, more later, and about a quarter physical abuse. So very large numbers and, you know, the majority of people telling us they had experienced this. This slide might be a bit difficult to see, but what I put it in there was because we looked at a wide range of clinical areas. As I said, often this research looks at the ED or mental health that are um, traditionally regarded as high-risk areas, and certainly they did come in as high-risk areas with over, well over 90% of people saying they'd experienced violence. But what's interesting about the results and what we were able to pass on was it didn't really matter where our members worked more than half were saying they were exposed to violence in the workplace and had experienced it. So this was down to midwifery, um, family and children's health, paediatrics were still over 50%. So everyone was telling us the same story. In terms of geographical location, Again, everyone was experiencing violence, and I think there's a perception by the public often that, you know, oh, St Vincent's in the city, they must get a lot of violence because it's the big city and what's happening there. We wanted to show, well, actually, it doesn't matter where our nurses work, they are at risk of violence. So they can be in a very remote area, they can be in a regional area, it doesn't matter, the experience is the same. Similarly, in terms of what sector, we tend to think of the public sector where we're going to see most violence, probably because that's where EDs are and we have more patients in those areas. But our colleagues in private and not-for-profit, so nursing homes, were telling us they experience high levels of violence as well, so that's borne out by those numbers. And all types of nurses were experiencing violence. 
one, a couple of statistically significant um, findings that older and more experienced nurses were at less risk. So this is telling us we need to protect our younger and less experienced um, members and that males were more likely to experience violence. And what the research tends to tell us is often they will be called upon if there's an episode of violence so they could kind of find themselves overrepresented for that reason. It's not because they're sought out. So I'll just ask you, I'm going to look at types of verbal abuse, but if you can tell me if you've experienced, and we saw that with our members it was, you know, about three quarters, so most, most of you are saying, yes, this we are experiencing, no one's disagreeing there. So the types of violence, uh, verbal abuse and that people were experiencing, probably these are very familiar to you, unfortunately, so swearing, people being rude, shouting at you, making unreasonable dema demands, and stepping into your personal space. And often this can be like a precursor for physical violence as well. What we found interesting as well was the use of social media now. So this is like violence extending beyond the workplace, kind of following us. Um, so social media, photos being taken, uploaded um, to social media and 25% reported sexually inappropriate behaviour. And this is something that we found across different questions in the survey and something that I think we probably need to do more research around because it's very concerning. So just some comments um, from our members or from the survey because I think, you know, statistics are one thing, but it's that personal voice and that personal story that is, that is usually really powerful and that can grab attention. And so here you can see threats against people, against family, the types of patients that people might be dealing with um, that is ongoing, and that, again, that idea of this violence extending beyond the workplace. So now I'll ask you about physical violence. Remembering in our survey we had about a quarter who'd experienced physical violence. Let that tally up. And so the types of physical violence, the most common was psychological. Uh, no, not, not the, the most common type of physical violence or, or impact, sorry, was um, a psychological impact on people. I'll just get to my slide to explain it. So the, that's the slide further on. I've gone ahead. So the, the most frequent types of physical abuse here you can see, so grabbing, hitting, spitting, pushing and destructive behaviour, in terms of that, the impact on people, that's where I was going with, with psychological abuse. More than a, a third were saying they'd um, had a, a weapon that they had um, been either used against them or threatened with. Again, we see that the, the numbers around sexually inappropriate behaviour and quite disturbing that 2% were saying they'd been sexually assaulted. So that was very concerning finding to us. Again, some comments from our people. So body fluids thrown, you know, petrol people being threatened with being set on fire, fires lit in departments, weapons used. So pretty serious, full-on examples of physical violence. Just let you read this quote from one of the participants. Disturbing for a number of reasons, the type of violence, you know, the threats against them, but also that they did the right thing. It was witnessed, they documented it, they went back to work the next day and that patient was still there and nothing was done. And when we look at, um, you know, response management, response, um, often we are seeing that it's not, it's not ideal or it's not, there isn't a response. I just put this slide in because I wanted to note, if you look at physical abuse, you can see it was actually statistically significant finding that more people in regional areas were experienced phys physical abuse. 
And why I wanted to highlight that was, was because that was often accompanied with less support. So less security, less supports in place for these people, but they're experiencing more, but more services in the metropolitan areas. So now I would ask you if you have ever been injured. So this is where it could be a physical injury, it could be a psychological injury as well. And, you know, bearing in mind that psychological injuries can take up to 12 months to resolve or they may not resolve. And so you can see we've got almost more than half, so it's kind of split here of people who have experienced an, episode, um, an injury. And so when we look at the injuries that the participants experienced, we had 28% who reported that they had experienced an injury, and the number one one was a psychological injury. Bruising was the most common physical um, injury. You can see even though 809 reported an injury, we've got only 250-odd getting me medical attention, 300 taking work off, um, so not many. That's disproportionate. But disturbingly, we've got 78 people who said they couldn't do their job anymore. So they had to either do a change of workplace or they were unable to work as a result of the injury. So talked about psychological, and when I, what I mean is a lot of those PTSD symptoms. So people talked about flashbacks, they talked about nightmares, not able to sleep, this fear of going to work that can be more significant, so that can linger with you for a long period of time. They talked as well of this having an impact on their professional life, which is where I think everyone should take notice, because if it's impacting our ability to deliver our nursing care, then it's going to have an impact on patients, um, and that should be something that, you know, all of the health services should take seriously. Um, the, the nurses and midwives talked about burnout and stress, increased conflict um, with their colleagues, reduced morale and intention to leave the profession. And so these were some of the emotional responses you can see there. So talked about anxiety, fear of going to work of, of future session of episodes. Some of the comments from the participants, so people talking about having to retire early, having to leave, um, physiological impact on people, people's hair falling out, people, um, you know, weight gain, loss of sexual function, and also people talking about negative coping mechanisms, so alcohol dependence, for example. See if this works. So this is to see, choose a word that best describes. So if it doesn't let you just, if you want to put in two words and it won't fit, maybe smoosh them into one word because I haven't played with this one before. And so what happens is as people enter the same word, it'll get bigger and it'll make us a nice little word cloud. And so what we did in the survey was ask people for their, uh, you know, their thoughts in much the same way. And then we looked at this and we analysed it and we analysed it into three settings. So we found people who said they were safe, people who said they were somewhat safe, and people who said they were unsafe at work. And so we'll look at the breakup of that. So that looks really pretty now. And so you can see it's probably fitting in there. Moderate, adequate, is that mostly safe, which most people said. So I'll click on to the next one. That does look really nice. So you can see there that that was the big group. So 10%, 11% saying they were safe, um, about a quarter unsafe. The majority were saying they were somewhat safe. So we wanted to see, we looked at what themes emerged from the people who were telling us they felt safe. We thought, this is great. What are some of the themes in there? And you can see there it was around culture. So a lot of it was around having a positive culture, a safety culture where management were supportive, um, where people worked together in teams, in pairs, 
They had a lot of good communication, so they could use safety huddles and risk assessment to predict episodes of violence and to pass that information on to each other. And they talked about security playing a positive role. So it's the same, they had enough and they knew what they were doing and they were helpful. When we looked at pe people who said they felt somewhat safe or unsafe, Similar themes, similar degrees, I guess. So people talked about staffing, so about not having enough staff, or about having a poor skills mix. So having perhaps AINs moving into areas where they weren't really trained to deal with um, mental health patients, for example, and this was increasing the level of risk. Numbers of patients, so we know that there is lots of, so having more high-risk patients and having waiting times, bed blocks, which was exacerbating the problem. And rather than a positive culture, talked about a negative culture. So management not being supportive, not following up and not supporting them at all. When they talked about security now, it wasn't as a positive thing. So they were just saying, talked about the restricted powers of security, that they were limited in what they could do, that they weren't on site, that they may not have um, anyone on site at all in terms of security, especially after hours. This was especially our regional and remote area um, nurses and midwives. They might be unskilled, so they might not be specialist health security guards, but rather agency. And this idea of time to respond so that it might take too long. Talked about duress alarms, but duress alarms, gee, that didn't have batteries, that were locked away, that there was one in one ward. So it was really having them, but they weren't serving any purpose. And again, a couple of quotes here. And so the last one kind of resonated with me because I think when we talk about it all the time, and you guys have heard about it all the time, we do go a bit complacent with it. Um, however, it's when you go outside and talk to people and in other workplaces that you realise, hey, hang on a sec. So I just wanted to quickly touch on reporting because one of the reasons that we wanted to do this was that traditionally episodes of violence are not reported for a number of reasons. And because of that, um, it's hard then to go with that evidence to say, look, it is happening because a lot of that then is anecdotal. So it's, most people would say that they present, uh, that they report or that they sometimes report is usually the bigger one. So people are saying here that they report, which is great, because that's what we need to do. In our findings, we had probably a similar split. So people saying, yes, they reported some, but people saying that they weren't bothering to report because they didn't have the time, they didn't expect any follow-up or response, um, they felt they might get blamed if they reported. They were told not to, um, didn't expect anything to change. So, so those types of reasons. And that's just coming through here. So, so this idea that it's so common, what's the point? That's all I'll be doing is putting in reports. No one's going to do anything about it anyway. And yes, I know there's a policy, but you know, in all reality, it's a poster on the wall. It's not an actual policy. And nothing's going to happen. So I would like to just ask you if you've experienced violence, which most of you were telling me that you had, what types of patients um, have you experienced this from? So is there someone that would, would stick out that you would think this is a high risk or more likely person that I'm going to experience violence from? And I think you'll find that's going to match up with our results. And so we've got their mental health, we've got their dementia, I can see we've got drug and alcohol abuse, 
and we have got um, things around um, cognitive impairment. So when I go to here, you will see, matches up with our finding. So mental health issues, um, anxiety and agitation, substance misuse, alcohol intoxication, dementia, and sometimes, remember, you could have more than one of those on board. So you may have someone with mental health issues who was also self-medicated or is coming in with a dual diagnosis. Similarly, when we asked about friends, and I saw parents was one of the, the someone had keyed in as a, as a type, mental health issues, substance misuse, alcohol intoxication, again, they were the three biggies. We wanted to see, so we would think, okay, we're in this high-risk environment, we're experiencing high levels of violence, what is it we are doing that's, you know, why are we getting all this violence? And when you look at that list, it's so benign. You know, we see communication, and we know communication is essential to what we do, and yet it's a high-risk activity for nurses. If we look again at managing reactions to delays, a lot of that is around communication as well. And then it's assisting with ADLs, positioning and turning, so nothing on there is invasive, and yet these are ranked as high-risk activities, so we're at higher risk of violence when we do them. Where does this violence happen? So you can see the majority is happening in rooms or wards. However, again, it's happening everywhere. So it doesn't matter. Um, it can be outside work. So if, I, if you look at the quotes, you can see, again, this idea, so not to forget our nurses who go out and midwives into people's homes, high risk of violence there, operating theatre, car park, there really isn't anywhere that we're getting away from it. I just flicked this in to say, you know, I wanted to see if there was a time, but really what you were telling me was, look, it can happen at any time. It's random and you can't really predict or manage for that. So in looking at management, and probably no surprise from some of the um, previous um, examples or quotes, is that most people said, no, actually, I'm not satisfied with the, our employer's response. So this is immediate response. I've just been injured or something's happened. Uh, the majority is saying not offered any access to counselling and that, you know, 87%, there's no change. So an episode happens and we're not planning ahead to make sure it doesn't happen again. Similarly, in a longer term, you know, 67% saying they still weren't given any adequate follow-up um, and some provided with no support at all and some actually blamed for the episode. And staff just told, well, you know, work safer. So kind of put back onto staff rather than management doing anything. Policies were perceived mainly to be pretty ineffective, um, that they weren't enforced, that they were in name only, um, ignored by management so not really there to help us. When we looked um, around, asked about what risk prevention strategies, you can see some places, some people were saying there aren't any. And then this issue of security, but not there, you know, not adequate. Um, the duress alarms again, and the idea that training, yes, we have a great aggression minimization training, but we're too busy, so we never get to do it. So, just to finish up, I'd like to ask you if you think it is inevitable, and that's now. Does it have to be inevitable? No, but is it, at the moment, inevitable? And you can see that the majority of you are saying, yes, it does seem to be inevitable, and that matches up with the findings from our survey. So, people were saying, yes, this is an inevitable part of our job, and it's actually increasing. And so, I've just got a couple of final comments there. Around So again, that idea that it's in health, but it's tolerated in health, but no one else, so we really need to shift that idea. People telling us they're unsafe going to work. And this idea of security, 
if it's 160 kilometres away, what, it's not really much use. And that nurses were losing control of a safe working environment and too many nurses are being harmed and no one seems to care. So as a result of this study, we did put in a... It was part of a submission to the Anderson Inquiry. We haven't heard back on the final results of that inquiry, so that was a New South Wales Health Inquiry. I found that there is increased media attention and not just at the time of something has happened, which is what happened, used to happen. So there was quite a long piece on the 7.30 report. So it's just part of what we want to do is raise the profile and we were also invited along to a safe work... Um, forum to talk about it as well. And so what I wanted to say was to thank you all. So thank you today for helping, for taking part in the little survey and for taking part in the survey itself and to let you know this is like a beginning. So it's certainly not here's the result, we're finished, we're moving on. This is a starting um, point for, for your association to kind of move forward and to advocate for you and to hopefully get some results. Thank you. <laughs>